Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Shot up at the buzzer, it's good! Brooks Hall! The place hits it at the buzzer! The Dayton Flyers! Pandemonium! And the Dayton Decibel Dungeon! This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. Hey, welcome back. It's Talking Out Loud. It's your boy Sully, and it's the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10. We're here Thursday, October 27th is the date of this recording, and it's a joy to have you in. We got a full hour of Dayton basketball talk, 11 days until the season starts. That means on Twitter, if you follow my countdown, where I feature random Dayton Flyers players in accordance to what day it is and how many days left in the season, it's Smith Brothers Day. Mally number 11, Scoochie number 11. Man, it's so great. We're almost back this Saturday. Exhibition game, Capital University. And then you got the opener against the Lindenwood Somethings on Monday, November 7th. Getting you ready for that big one Friday night, uh, November 11th. SMU comes to town. We're doing the live show at Tim's. Do not forget. Absolutely do not forget. Since I last came to you with a show, uh, some things have happened. Not a lot of things, but some things, and they are varying in level of importance. But uh, the most important thing that happened since I last came to you, and it was honestly something that uh, hit my desk minutes after I uh, released the last episode, was you know started to hear rumblings here and there that um, Mally Smith uh, had been injured in practice. Did a little bit of digging and found out that was the case. And then we had to confirm because all you sickos on Twitter uh, love taking screenshots of social media posts and Snapchats and shit like that. And so we figured out that indeed uh, Malachi Smith is injured. Um, At first I thought it was the ankle that he injured before um, in March. Found out it was a different ankle, which I can't make heads or tails about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But nonetheless, he will be out to start the season. And from what I am hearing, unconfirmed rumblings, of course, but what I am hearing is that having him back before Thanksgiving when the Flyers travel to the Bahamas is in serious jeopardy as of this date of our Lord. It's an absolutely huge blow for the Flyers because if you had to nail down where are the weaknesses of this team, it's guard depth. 
Um, we have heard that Kobe Bray has been out, hasn't been practicing, didn't play in the scrimmage, um, which the Flyers won by 50 points or something like that. It won by 50 points. Stop reading into the scrimmages, people. Um, didn't play in the scrimmage, and Kobe Brea is expected back any day now. That is the latest word that I got. But again, takes us back. If you had to nail down one weakness of this Dayton team, it's guard depth. If they start the season without Brea, they start the season without Mally Smith, um, it gets pretty thin at guard. I mean, Dayton has had this let's go out and get all the wings that we can possibly get kind of approach to recruiting. And while I don't necessarily disagree with that, you got to have guards on the roster somehow, and obviously it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is my show. Um, in the offseason, it was probably pretty hard to recruit guards and specifically to get guards out of the transfer portal because if you look at this holistically in the correct context, which I implore you to do in all situations of life, the Flyers weren't going to get a top-tier guard in the transfer market or even on the recruiting trail for the simple fact that Malachi Smith was coming back as a sophomore, played 35 minutes a game last year. And if you're you know, sitting on mama's couch trying to figure out where you're going to school, you're not going to go somewhere with a, a tried and true point guard who is playing 35 minutes a night. And you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you can look at the situation that played out last year where um, you know, Elijah, Elijah Weaver started the year for the Flyers at point guard. And then you know, by game four, uh, you were watching Malachi Smith bring the ball up uh, for that 35 minutes a night that was aforementioned. So here we are. I mean, you know, it's going to be Mongolian Mike. It's going to be Kobe Elvis to start the year. Um, and shit, I mean, if those guys go down, we are really in a ton of trouble uh, as far as what they're going to do to backfill uh, the guard depth. But uh, that's a conversation for another day. For right now, I... Um, I'm really excited that we're going to be able to see uh, Mongolian Mike probably right out of the gate. I mean, night one against Lindenwood, uh, you're probably going to get a pretty good flavor of what these guys bring to the table because I'd have to imagine against a lesser foe like Lindenwood, they're going to try their best to give everybody some minutes. And of course, um, you know, some of that will flesh itself out in the uh, exhibition coming up this Saturday as well. Uh, other update that uh, that came across the Twitter waves yesterday was Dayton uh, specifically spearheaded uh, this initiative, rather spearheaded by Brian Roberts, Keith Wallace-Kowski, and a few other um, people that are close to the program, uh, not the least of which was Matt Farrell, uh, organized an NIL collective uh, for Dayton basketball players. And if you're not familiar with what that means, in simplistic terms, it's a way that the school can funnel money into the pockets of basketball players in a legal fashion, all right? Um, you don't want to get yourself into lituations when it comes to this NIL stuff, but it really is the Wild West. And so what schools are doing, Ohio State has been one of them uh, close to home, is you set up these collectives, money goes in, and then you can conveniently siphon that money where it needs to go without violation. So um, for John Q fan, probably doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, if you want to, you know, donate your hard-earned dollars to this collective, you be my guest. Um, but most people, you know, 90% of fans and most of the people that are listening to this are going to be content paying the season ticket prices, um, you know, going to games, giving the university your money, maybe making a donation to get some better seats here and there. Done that myself. 
Um, but again, it's not really going to be something of consequence for the average fan. This is more of a way for UD to suck the teat of those who can give large sums of money and make sure that it goes directly into the pockets of your Dayton basketball players. So that's the long and short of it. There's no real reason to belabor it. I think as the NIL landscape kind of starts to change and shift, um, there's going to be you know developments like this where Dayton is, I'll mention it later on in the show, but frankly, just keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, Dayton has made, made it very clear over the last, oh, let's call it five years here, that their intent is to keep up with programs that are of the Power Five ilk, right? Um, and because Dayton has the support, funding, fan base, all those things we talk about, they, they are able to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and this is just another way for them to do so. <clears throat> so with all that in mind, um, I it was really funny today. I um, saw that as they're tweaking the language on NIL, what's legal, what's not, um, they, the NCA made a very interesting uh, stipulation with the NIL rule in that schools uh, can they can directly contract with the students, but they cannot help them negotiate agreements on the student's behalf. So, hey, Mr. Dayton basketball player, you can go out and get any money you want from sponsorships and deals and endorsements and blah, blah, blah. But we're not going to help you to work through the contract uh, process with these multinational organizations whose intent is probably to screw you over. It's stuff like that that makes you roll your eyes where you think, okay, we're taking steps forward to empower our athletes, but we're also not going to help 18-year-olds contract with multinational organizations. It just It's idiocy. It's always... Something good has to be followed by something stupid constantly, whether it's the NCAA or the NIL, whatever it may be. It, it's a tit for tat. Hey, here's something great. Also with it is something profoundly stupid. So there's your profoundly stupid thing of the day. Uh, full hour of uh, Dayton basketball talk here on Talking Out Loud. Um, we're going to do a quick commercial break here in the front of the, you know, bills need paid. You know, got to make sure and wheels are greased, all that. Uh, we're going to do a quick commercial break. And on the other side, uh, I got Larry Hands get in. One of our um, our better conversations, me and him, we've done it every year since I've had the show running. And uh, you know, we want to do it into the future because Larry just gives a great perspective, a different perspective. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, differing opinions are important. And that's what I try to do on this show is, you know, having different opinions. Argument is important. Um, you know, if everybody in the fan base feels the same way about everything, I think it would get pretty bland and dry. And I think that's frankly quite boring. And so uh, it's always important to remember that the program will always be better off by having people talk about it who care. And uh, there is no man who cares more about the Dayton Flyers uh, than our own Larry Hansgen. So quick break. On the other side, I got the voice of the Flyers. Larry Hansgen is talking out loud. Be right back. Welcome back in. This is Still Talking Out Loud, and I am still your host, Sully, bringing you the number one podcast in the A-10. I believe three seasons running, and for all three of those seasons that we have been the number one show in the Atlantic 10, I have featured the voice of the Dayton Flyers, Larry Hansgen himself, on the show. Larry, welcome back. It is great to have you. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're 
officially making an annual thing out of this catching up before Dayton Flyers basketball season starts? You know, Sally, when you reach out to me, it, it gets me excited because I realize that, okay, it's here. Okay, basketball <laughs> season has arrived. It has. And, uh, you know, I have to fire up the mic, get the podcast going. And that's kind of the um, uh, that's the marker for me every year now is that, all right, I got to start thinking about shows, got to start thinking about weekly guests. And uh, I, I told you, you know, when I emailed you that I, I did slight you this year, I had Brooks on first. and Usually you do the first show. So I know that you didn't get offended by that. And I think all the listeners are appreciative, but um, I, it's uh, it's an honor for me to, uh, you know, I, I grew up listening to, to you guys as a little kid. And I, it's uh, it's an honor now to, to have um, uh, to be a milestone in your uh, sports calendar. So um, excitement is definitely building about the Dayton Flyers. And I think, you know, it's, that's a good place to start for today, Larry, is that, um I was looking or I was thinking back through the seasons um, and preseason expectations and whatnot. And I got to be honest, I can't remember a season recently where there has been this much hype, this much buzz, and frankly, uh, expectations that are quite high. The last time I remember this is probably that 2017 team where Scoochie, Kyle, Kendall, and Cook all came back for their last year. But you would be hard-pressed to find a season where we had higher expectations going in than this one. Am I right or wrong in saying that? Um, not not as high as this. I mean, the last time that there was close to this, and, 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 and it was not very close, would, would have been um, heading into the 2009-2010 season. Absolutely. Uh, or it would have been... Yeah, it would be 2009-2010. 2009, 2009 um, team went to the NCAA tournament, beat West Virginia, and then uh, just uh, stunk in, in losing to Kansas in the second round yeah. and had everybody, virtually everybody back and really came out and uh, were preseason top 25 and underperformed and uh, ended up going to the NIT and – you know, it was just a year that was a, a disappointment year. And I, I give credit to that team because once they got the NIT, they said, well, okay, if we're going to be in it, let's just win it. And they did. They won the NIT in 2010. So um, I, I don't want to make um, comparisons um, to this, you know, to this year and that team because it, it, they're just so different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree um, wholeheartedly. I was a, a sophomore at UD when that season went down. And uh, a little fun fact, I think that was the first time I met you was in the NIT uh, in Madison Square Garden right after uh, they won that game against North Carolina. I know that's it's many years ago. I don't expect you to remember it. Watershed moment for me being a 20-year-old, but um, you're spot on. And I, I kind of thought the same thing, that the expectations were sky high that year. But uh, the circumstances were different because in 2009, they had ended that 19-year drought of not winning NCAA tournament games. So because of that, the expectations were inherently very high because they had reached a plateau that uh, they, hadn't, they hadn't been at in quite some time, right? Now, fast forward to this season going into uh, 2023, the one thing that is similar, Larry, and I didn't really want to get your, your feedback on this, one thing that's very similar about this year to the 2010 year is that the new Big East was beginning to be formed at that time, right? In that 2009-10 window. Yeah. And it's only a theory for me, but 
my theory was that that season went a long way for keeping Dayton out of the Big East. Now, fans certainly have their, um, you know, their conspiracy theories about it. But I think this year is very similar in that we're kind of back in that audition window 15 years later, 10, whatever it is. 13 years later, we're back in that audition window for the Big East. It definitely feels like that. I was wondering if you felt the same way that with the new TV deal coming up, we talked about it last week on the podcast, that the window is back open again for Dayton possibly making a jump in the next, let's call it three seasons. I I completely disagree. I think there is no chance Dayton will ever go to the Big East. Wow. Uh, I I, I heard it here. Yeah. I think that there are, you know, all it takes is one vote against, and I think that they've got um, there. Xavier will vote against. I think that uh, Georgetown will vote against. I think that Marquette will vote against, and there's probably another vote out there against. It's not going to happen. It's, I mean, it just literally is not going to happen. You know, I'm really surprised to hear you say that because with. Um, the changing landscape of college athletics and college basketball specifically, if there's money to be made, it, it tends to move the needle, right? And as I look at Dayton and like where they're positioned in the college basketball landscape, it sure does seem to me like there is money and opportunity to be made by adding a program like Dayton to the Big East. Now, obviously, Gonzaga is always going to be first in line for that invitation, making it the Big East slash, slash West. But I am surprised to hear you say that because it seems like it would be advantageous monetarily to put Dayton in the Big East. And you're saying absolutely no chance of that. I, I, I really just don't see it happening, it, mainly for the money reasons that you just mentioned. And 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 why would I mean, if, I, if I'm sitting in a administrative office at Xavier University, why would I want to share any, any dollars with the University of Dayton? No, I'm not going to do it. You know, if I'm sitting in Butler University in Indianapolis, why would I want to show share any dollars with the University of Dayton? No, I don't want to do it. I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, yeah that's, again, really interesting to hear you say that because I, I tend to think that um, when push comes to shove, the people in the boardrooms will say, well, what's the best moneymaker for the conference? And I think the moneymaker is to expand. But I, I think there's definitely there's definitely validity on the other side of the argument to say, well, the league's doing pretty well as is. And if they can add a home run like Gonzaga, fine, great. But other than that, there's no real reason to go out and find other teams. So your point's well received. And that's why I have these discussions is that I think it's probably the hottest topic in the preseason without actually discussing the team on the floor. Um, well, adding Gonzaga doesn't that doesn't cannibalize any of the of the markets. Yep, I mean, it is adding. It, it doesn't cannibalize anything, and so they would be doing just that. They would be they would be adding, and you know they could they could you know they can well they can you know argue whether or not that would be a good thing to do um, when it comes to especially the uh, they call the Olympic sports uh, you know baseball and volleyball and soccer. Uh, expanding that, you know, expanding all the way out to the West Coast. But the fact of the matter is, is that adding Gonzaga as a men's basketball program, you know, it, it doesn't cannibalize anything. 
That's true. Uh, that's a hundred percent true. And so, um, I guess you know, on that same thread in the landscape that we're in right now in the Atlantic 10, um, you know, we, I talk about this quote all the time. And I think this quote was made, uh, by Neil Sullivan, the athletic director in 2018, when Anthony Grant was hired. And he said, you know, the expectations for the Dayton program are that we're going to recruit at a high level. We're going to graduate our student athletes. We're going to compete for conference championships and advance in the NCAA tournament. Three of those things are happening right now. One of them is not fairly obvious which one is not. But as you see it in the A10 here, Larry, I tend I have held this opinion for a long time. I'm not necessarily ever been gung ho about like moving over to the Big East because I said that Dayton is perfectly positioned in the A10 to dominate year in, year out, have a top three finish every single season. And where we sit right now in 2022, it sure feels like they're there, right? Dominate every year, year in, year out. I, I can't think of a, a single program in the United States that has been held back by virtue of what conference they were in. I, I can't. I mean, I, I literally can't. Maybe maybe there's somebody that ran the table in the in the SoCon that I I was not aware of, but the fact of the matter is is that um, it, it, where Dayton is right now in the Atlantic Ten, they don't have to do anything other than what they are poised to do, and that is win the league and move forward. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the A-10 is certainly not a power conference by any means. They're not a mid-major either. I think we've all agreed on that. And so that was where where the discussion kind of diverts with a lot, large portion of the fan base because they're like, man, the a is a crap conference. Why are we in it? And blah, blah, blah. And I don't really buy into that because okay, there's not a bunch of quad one, quad two opportunities, and you do have more landmines than, say, uh, you know, playing in the Big Ten, obviously. But the fact of the matter is, if you finish top three in the A-10, you're probably going to be in position to get to the NCAA tournament. And I think Dayton sees that as well. So when I look at where should we be, where should we land, it it just doesn't seem like there is a better place for Dayton right now because... Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, all right, let's say that we did go to the Big East. Let's just throw that out as a hypothetical. If Dayton starts in the Big East and they go 10 and 8 in their first year or 10 and 10 if they go to 20 games, is that really what people want to see? I mean, now I don't really love seeing, you know, Dayton beat up on GW or Fordham by 20 points when they come to the arena either, but I would rather see Dayton win more games. And obviously the goal is to get into the NCAA tournament. And I think that's kind of where it's a seesaw, right? Like I want them to be winning more games. If you go to a tougher conference, you probably have better opponents. I I mean, I'm just getting to the long point of saying, I still feel like Dayton is perfectly positioned in the A-10 for long-term success, number one. And number two, I don't feel like the program has been in a position to take that next step up that we talk about um, in the way that it is right now. I think it's been a very long time since, or ever, that Dayton has been in the position they're in right now where they could take that next step up as a program. Do you feel that way too? Well, I, I think the, the, first of all, the, the, the a 10, and, and we've had this conversation before. I think the a 10 has too many schools in it. I would love to see Agreed. the a 10 shrink. Um, 
I, I, I really think an A8 to A10 is actually a pretty good league. Yep. And um, no, I mean, oh, oh you know what? Sally, I'm not, I'm not being flip or anything, but you know what? what call me when Dayton wins the league for five years in a row. I call agree. me then, and then we'll have the conversation about whether they need to move on to someplace else. Um, <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, and we're not. That's not where we are. Yeah, and that's the point I always bring up because people. I mean, it's it's been talked about time and time again that you know, oh, well, how did Xavier get to move up? And it's like. Go look back through those early 2000s years. I mean, every single year they were 14 and 2, 13 and 3. And then the one year I think they went 8 and 10, they made the NCAA tournament anyway because they won the A10 tournament. And so if you, you know, nailed me down to the expectations of this year, it's obviously get to the NCAA tournament, but you're absolutely right. What Dayton has to do now is build consistency. And on that same point, uh, you know, I, I was number one question I had written down today before we started was now that we're in, you know, heading into year six um, of Anthony Grant, and obviously the 2020 season took us to highs we've never seen before. But what would you say to the fans that frankly think that he's underachieved since he got to Dayton? Oh, well, I, I would say they're wrong. Um you know, because first of all, the, you know, the, the barometer of, um, you know, going to an NCAA tournament is, you know, you got to eliminate that because there wasn't one. Sure. Uh, but, it, but I mean, if you look at, okay, I mean, one of those blind taste tests type of things. If I say, you know, if I go to anybody, I go, listen, um, would you like, if I gave you a basketball program uh, with a coach that ended up being the national coach of the year that had three A-10, that had three league n rookies of the year, that had a national player of the year, and was in the postseason all but one year, of his entire time here, would you would you sign up for that? Yeah, and people say, "Well, yeah, yeah," and, and and that's the reality. I mean, that's the reality. That that's that's what Coach Grant has done. But I, I say that in that that's not really what his focus has been. I I I really I really honestly feel like what has happened to date and what has certainly been enjoyed by, by the flyer faithful and you and me included is, has been a run up to what the eventual goal is. What do you think Anthony Grant's best trade is as a coach? I think his best trade is, is that um, he, makes moms and dads feel like they can hand their son over to him. It's a because, yeah. because ultimately, it, ultimately it's going to start with, with talent. Um, you know, there, there, there's probably a lot of guys out there, the 300 and some 
uh, in Division One schools that have a really good X and O guy that can take, you know, their you know their their guys and they can do a good job. But ultimately, at the level that Dayton is at, and certainly the, the level that Dayton fans expect and expire to be. Um, it is execution, but but it also there is a expectation of bringing in talent, and I I think he's done a remarkable job of bringing in talent, um, and that has probably been his strongest suit. Is that um, the reason they've got the talent they have is because it has been his ability to connect with that player, with that player's family. And then, um, and then to take and, you know, they, they have a culture. They, they, they've got a culture going right now. I mean, so uh, this is my 40th year, 40 years I've been around Dayton kids. Okay. And um, yeah, there's been a, there's been a knucklehead or two along the way. <laughs> for the most part, I remember, Dayton, there was, there was one uh, player who will not be named that you uh, you called a turd yeah. way back in the day. There's been a couple yeah. of those, sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dayton gets, but Dayton gets good kids. I mean, as a student yourself, you 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 were part of that vibe, okay? Yeah. This group's the night. This group is the nicest. I mean, nicest is not a great descriptive word, but it's the nicest group I've ever been around. And, and I think it is part of the culture. And so you take that and then, so is that his strongest, you know, asset? Yeah. And then the other thing he does and is that he's a really, he, he is a player's coach from the standpoint that he really puts guys in position to succeed. You know, whoever's on the floor, I mean, they are what they're running is, you know, the offense is based upon who who is where, where they are and how they play off of each other. It's not, OK, here's my designated score and you're going to run some stuff to get him a shot. No, there you have five guys out there that are in in there. They're not running a set play. Unless it's like, you know, a dead ball out of bounds underneath the basket, then it'll run a set play then. But, you know, so much offense in basketball is the other team either made a basket or they missed. So what do you do? Well, it's that. It, it's what happens next. And that's what their focus is upon in how they go about their offense in that situation, in that called a scramble mode because, you know, you've not called a timeout. You've not, you know, play is not stopped. So you have to, on the wing, you've got to attack. And it's all about where are your teammates? Okay. If your teammates are in a certain spot, what do you do? And, you know, he does a great job of teaching those concepts. Um, I, I, I talked to a soccer coach once and, and you know, in soccer, they really they don't run plays. They don't run plays unless you watch Ted Lasso. They, they run plays in Ted Lasso. They do. But right. for the most part, they, you know, they don't run plays. It, it's all about you look out and you see, okay, I'm here. 
the opponents are here, my teammates are here. Based upon that, that's what I do. And, and, and that's a lot of the Anthony Grant offense. You've seen the team already, um, I'm assuming, in, in practice a time or two now, Larry. What's changed from last year to this year? Um, they have grown up so much. Um, it really struck me yesterday. Um, they had like you know little media day type things, mm-hmm. and it was just talking to Kobe Elvis, and and this guy was just so comfortable in his skin, and being able to articulate what they're trying to do, what their principles are, and everything, and you know a year ago at this time, I mean he was I mean he was just trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And, that, and that's no knock on the staff. I mean, that's just the, you know, that, that's just, you know, he, he came in as a transfer, which is like being a brand new recruit freshman. Yep. But I, I just see, I, I just see a group of people that they, they get it. They get it. And then as a consequence, those who are new, and, and there's really only two to really speak of as Tyrone and, um, and and Mike, and and you know they're picking things up. Yep. You know, uh, going back to last year, just just briefly, um, I remember that uh, probably midway through the season, I said to Brooks Hall that you know my my biggest complaint about this year is that the coaching staff didn't have the boys ready to play night one, and he gave me a lot of pushback. He goes, "What do you mean by that?" And I said, "Well." They started one and three. I said they picked up their identity afterwards. Malachi started after that slump, obviously. Then they went and, uh, you know, they obviously you know, beat Kansas and Belmont um, and Miami, who, of course, was in the Elite Eight. And I said, if you look at the team at the end of the year and then you look at the team at the beginning of the year, the only logical conclusion that I could draw was that the staff didn't necessarily know which pieces um, to put together and at what times. And so I said, I'm not, I really wasn't trying to throw shade at the coaching staff. I was just trying to look at things pragmatically and say, I don't believe we even knew what we had to start the year. And it was, it was our undoing, you know, that we didn't respect the schedule in that fashion. What do you, what do you say about last season? And, you know, is it, is it warranted to say that the, the coaching staff didn't have the boys ready or maybe they didn't know what they had going into last year? Where do you land on that? Well, I, I really think the success of last season wouldn't have happened without those three losses. That's probably true, yeah. That I, I, I really think that you had a, you had a young team that was scared. I mean, and, and if anyone watched those games, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast did, um, it was painful. It was. Yeah, it was. I remember uh, it, you. It and- yeah, I mean, it was painful to watch them because you, 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 you were watching guys go left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. I mean, it was, this was not a group of guys that were playing basketball. And I, I, I don't, you know, it's not because they were being instructed to be that way. 
I just think their um, inexperience combined with an expectation of, well, look who you're playing. I mean, it was a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm. And I, I, I really think that once they, when they lost those three games, um, the Monday practice after the loss to Austin P on Saturday, before they had to go down to Orlando, um, best practice of the year, best practice of the year. And it was, it was, it was, there was not a lot of quote coaching being done. They just got after it. They, you know, and, and I think that, you know, once they released their minds to where they, they, they weren't out there with brain cramps trying to figure out what to do, they released their minds, you know, play up tempo, get after it, 94 feet. You don't have a chance to think because there's what you got to do. But with, but at the same time, still keep coaching. Don't, don't just say, okay, you guys are a bunch of dummies that, that we can't teach any principles to. We're just going to have you go out and press and run. No, they, 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 they pressed and ran while they were teaching. And then they and, and then they and then they learned and then and then they were able to do stuff in the half court and then they were able to do other things. So, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of people listening right now are going to say, "Oh man, last year if we hadn't lost those first three games, uh, those those three games, oh what what would have happened?" I I really think losing those games really set the stage for last year's success it was the catalyst yeah yeah you know it's it's an interesting point you bring up larry because i i tend to agree with you um you know i i think you can you can share that opinion right is that or have both opinions that they weren't ready to play the 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 season when it started they probably overlooked some lesser foes uh, obviously yeah. you know, they lost to them. Yeah. but in the same breath uh, you know, maybe they don't turn it around. Maybe they don't get as locked in. Um, maybe they lose a couple of those games later in the season, hurt them worse than playing uphill for the whole year, which they ended up doing. Um, I think there's a lot of merit to that. And I think that's the thing that I've said now that I'm most excited for in this particular season is that this team now understands the weight behind every game, whether it's... Yeah. Lindenwood on opening night or slew for the conference title to end the season. I'm excited because you have veterans that are still young, right? It's like, that's such a weird thing to say, but the majority of this team is sophomores and juniors for the most part. And I say juniors because of the weird COVID year. So, you know, yeah. like RJ's in his third season, he's a junior, you know, um, but I'm excited that they have that level of experience to take in to the season, um, you know, on that same breath, have you asked the guys about that, that uh, losing streak recently here and said, you know, is it motivating you to go into this season or have you had conversations around it um, with the team? They, they refer to it rather obliquely. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I, but I would say in, we had a conversation, you and I, a year ago at this time, uh, 
and it was in my basement where I'm sitting right now, where I uh, where I said that I thought that that team had as much chance of losing to Alabama State as they did of beating Kansas. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I I kind of was and, like, ah, really beating Kansas? Like you think they're that good? And, and then sure enough, you were right. right. I was right on the Kansas part and the Alabama State. Well, I I missed the actual opponent, but I I was in the ballpark. Same okay, <laughs> but and and, and 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 here's the thing: is that um, I I really think that um, these guys they they know they know what they did last year. They know where they screwed up. You know, uh, you don't. You know, we don't need to bring in. Uh, a nun from Holy Angels uh, to come in with a ruler and slap them on the knuckles. Yeah, to say to to, to to you know to tell them what they did wrong. They they know, they know, and 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 I I think I think the strength of this team right now, and that's before they've even played an exhibition game against Capital. They got a chip on their shoulder. I mean, they really, I mean, they, they are, I think they're playing pissed off. And that's probably the best place for them to be. Honestly, I think, um, you know, sometimes I, I get, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want nice guys, you know, like you said, like I want, I want some mean guys. Like I, I want, you know, dogs, like that's what I want on the team. But it does go back to the, the point of, I, you know, the team needs to play with that chip on their shoulder. They need to play with a little bit of anger, you know? Um, and I think when you're ranked going into the year, sometimes you lose that because you don't get to play the underdog card anymore. And if I had a single worry about this team, it's just, they don't, they don't get to play the underdog card or the youth card. But at the same time, it doesn't strike me that this team is particularly concerned with the outside noise anymore. And I think that comes with the same experience that we're talking about, right? Um, you learn how to handle or block out what everybody's saying about you. The fan base can be pretty vocal, myself included, obviously. Um, and I think you need a year of experience to kind of sift through those waters to learn what it's like, you know, if, and and I because I think last year they bought into it a little bit. Um, and you remember like when they went to Orlando, they're like, everybody's writing us off, you know, and I'm like, well, don't worry about us, man. Just go out and win some games. And, and then they did. And then it was like, well, we proved you all wrong. And I'm like, you don't need to prove anything to me. You know, just win some basketball games. And as the chips fall, I'll describe them, you know, in realistic terms. But I think this year there's less of that narrative. Do you get the same feeling that they just don't care about that anymore and just go out and win basketball games? I, I do. I, th- I, th- I think you're right on. I, I, I think they, I mean, they acknowledge the accolades that come from the outside and uh, are respectful of that. But at the same time, um, it goes back to that chip on their shoulder. I mean, they, they want to do... They want to do some things that they can do that that is not something that someone can give them, you know, where, um, you know, you and I fill out a poll and then they go, oh, well, guess what? You're 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 the preseason picks to win the league. Yeah. No, they, they want they want to do things that they can control that is not, you know, it's not given to them by someone outside that is something that they can control 
that they have the means of of, of making happen. And, and I, 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 I think this is a, they've got a, there's a, there's an edge about them just being around them so far this year. There's an edge. That's great to hear. And uh, we're finishing up here on talking out loud, talking to the voice of the flyers, Larry hands again. We uh, thank you for sticking around all the way to the end of the show here. Um, you know, it, it's good to hear Larry, because this is the time of the year when, when we're making predictions and we're talking expectations you know, like I said, the, the expectation for this year is is well spoken for. Um, you know, it's get get back to the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm not one of those guys that says, well, if we don't win a game in the NCAA tournament, the season was a failure. You know, I, I don't think you can look at it that way in such black and white terms, because uh, like we saw in 2017, that team was good enough to make a run in the NCAA tournament, but they got a really they got a bad matchup. You know, they, they got a Wichita team that was frankly way underseeded. Um, and stuff like that can happen. You know, they played a tough game against that team, almost got it out of win regardless. But the point I'm getting to is that I, I would not throw away the entire season as a failure if that doesn't happen. So two things for me is that, oh you know, God, I, I've been waiting. It feels like my whole life to see Dayton win an A-10 tournament again. Um, and I think if they did that, I would accept whatever their fate was in the NCAA tournament. But what are your expectations for this team? And, and then you can kind of um, relay that into what, what is the ceiling for, for this team? Because, you know, a lot of people are throwing around Final Four as a ceiling. I don't like to go, you know, be that bullish ever. I like to, you know, see things for myself. But what are your expectations and the ceiling for this team? Well, could could they be a Final Four team? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really do think so. But if you look at what they can control, they can control um, their destiny within the league. And so, I would be, I would be disappointed, honestly, if this team did not win the A ten regular season outright and or the A-10 tournament, because that is within their grasp. There's, there's, no, um, there's no pollsters, there's no um, seeding matchups or anything like that. That, that. That's just taking care of the business that is right there in front of you. And I really think, based upon um, the talent and... Um, you know, in, in in the culture, that 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 that's a reality. That they they could they they could win the A ten regular season and or the A ten turning. Yep, I completely agree. Um, on the on the show, we like to do trivia here, and so I think uh, it's a good place to to wrap things up for tonight. Larry, you mentioned that uh, this is your. Your 40th season. I'll, I'll play some trivia mm-hmm. for this whole thing. It's like okay. that I do, all right. So, um, okay. You mentioned that Dayton, uh, 40th season rather, um, that that you were covering the Flyers in that first season, 1982-83. It would have been. Do you remember the Flyers' record led by Junior Roosevelt Chapman and friend of the program Kevin Conrad? Um, their their record. They won eighteen games. They were um, yeah, it was eighteen and uh, I guess they would have been eighteen and whatever. 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you that win on trivia here. They were they were eighteen and ten. Um, they played in the NIT. I want to say they lost. To, no, like, they did not. They, they did, did not, not play in the NIT. Played the year before, right? Yeah, they they in the year before they were in the NIT. Uh, beat Purdue, went to um, and then went to uh, Oklahoma and lost. But in in, in the eighty two eighty three season, which was my first year, they won eighteen games mm-hmm. and had no postseason. No right. postseason at all. The following yeah, year, won eighteen year, won eighteen games, and went to the Elite Eight. That's right. Yeah, and they finished the year twenty one and eleven uh, with that loss to Georgetown at uh, Poly Pavilion in Los Angeles. Um, it is just hard to believe how much the, the college landscape has changed. And I mentioned at the front of the show how uh, Dayton's now put together this collective for NIL, um, which is. You know, frankly, a necessary move more than um, something that they're getting ahead of the game on. I think they're kind of playing keeping up with the Joneses as they should. But you know, last question for you, Larry, and I, I hate to sneak it in here because it is just such a broad topic. But do you see do you see the NIL being an advantage to Dayton or a disadvantage? Given that um, you know, we have the resources, but with the transfer portal as open as it is, and Dayton not having necessarily the resources of, let's just say, you know, Duke, Kentucky, whatever. Do you see it as a detractor or do you see it as uh, something that can be wholly beneficial for the program moving forward? Yeah, I actually see it being right in the middle. Um, Weirdly, yeah. I think think that um, Dayton is a very unique situation where, um, you know, and if you talk to players – of the past where they, they, they come here and they, you know, they're, they're celebrities. I mean, they are. And, and, and I think that you're going to have guys that are going to be able to um, make um, some dollars off of the fact that they're a Dayton flyer. Yep. Now they're not going to make Kentucky wildcat dollars. No, but um, they're, they're also not making Bowling Green Falcon dollars. <laughs> That's true too. Uh, and so I, I think Dayton's just kind of like right there in the middle. And, and it, you know, and I have often said, you know, and here, here's the thing. I, I, um, I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but. That's what um, I said. One of those topics. You know? but, I think, but I think Dayton fans, I, I think, you know what, part of, part of this, this program's success is its fan base. Yep. And, and, and I'm sincere about that, is, is that this is a fan base that is not going to tolerate um, uh, cheating or, you know, win at any cost or just, you know, just win. No, Dayton has a fan base that they, 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 they want their guys to play hard and play well, but they want to do it right. And, and, and I think the fan base really holds the program. Um, they, they hold the program's feet to that fire. Um, and, and and I think that will continue in this NIL age. And are, are, are Dayton guys going to make money while they're playing here? Yes, I certainly hope so, because that's the new reality. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the general ethos of the program and the program's relation to the community is not going to change. 
there's just going to be some ways in which people heretofore have been unable to express their support that they can now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for that, right? Is um, we talk about the the strength of the program being the fans themselves. And and now I think there's just more levels to that, right? It's not just showing up on game day. It's not just wearing red and being loud. It's um, putting the players in the best possible situation to benefit off of what they're doing, you know? Because I think most people are in the camp and agree that these guys should be making money off of what they're doing, right? Um, right. Now... It's not like anybody's saying that they're, you know, trying to find coins and couch cushions. That's never been the, you know, they get fed and they had stipends before. But now you can really tie a dollar amount to the contributions on the floor. And to your point, the contributions in the community, because I think that that was another thing of focus with this new NIL deal is that, um, hey, the guys get paid to go do appearances and they should, you know, they're celebrities. And, sure. and uh, for a lot of these guys, the, the bulk of guys that come and play basketball at Dayton, um, I don't want to say all downhill from here, but it's a time in their life when they should be capitalizing on the fame and um, capitalizing on where they are, right? Like there's just not a lot of people that get the opportunity to make this kind of money at 19 years old. And there's not a lot of people that have the opportunity to play in front of 13,000 twice a week at 19 years old. And um, they don't have to be mutually exclusive anymore, which is is really nice. And I'm glad to see Dayton, uh, like I said, kind of keeping up with the Joneses. But I do kind of find that it will be a middle ground. Like guys will, you know, leave and try to find more money. Obi Toppin's brother just did it, right? He went from Rhode Island to Kentucky. Um, but there's going to be guys that take steps up from the mid major ranks to say, hey, I can make some more money at Dayton and, you know, I could be a celebrity around town for a couple of years. And um, I don't think that's anything worth glossing over because I think it's just as important as how well we're recruiting and, um, you know, how many butts that we're, we're putting in seats, you know, being able to advertise that on a regular basis, I feel like is very important. So um, points all well taken, Larry. And um, I know we, we're running a bit long for what I had planned out, but um, the time is, is always well spent talking to you about the Flyers the program, where we're headed, um, you know, and just everything. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this story. And uh, I waited all the way until I had you on the podcast to tell you about this because I, I think I had told it on the show before. But um, we were at the uh, the Capitals Arena, uh, Capital One Arena in uh, D.C. And, uh, you know, I was probably five or six seats down from you on press row there. And um, I'm certain you had the same feeling that I did in the second half where you were just slowly watching it all fall apart without Malachi on the floor. And then, you know, the clock hit zero and uh, press row kind of just started to, um, you know, go their separate ways. And I was just kind of sitting there soaking it in. I, I really couldn't believe that I, I watched again, you know, Dayton losing the A-10 tournament in the fashion in which it happened. And here I was thinking I was alone, but I looked over to my left and I saw you just kind of staring out into the upper deck. I, I don't know what you were looking at, but you had that look on your face where I felt like me and you were on the same wavelength right there, just thinking to ourselves, God, how did it happen to us again in the A-10 tournament? So what, what was going through your head right then? That was what I wanted to ask you. 
Uh, and Sully, the thing that, that that went through my head at that time was just that, oh, shoot, we can't play tomorrow for a chance to getting into the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the only thing I was thinking. And the only thing I was thinking was that, okay, well, the NCAA tournament is out the door. You yeah. know, had to win this game because we got to be, you know, at that time, you know, we thought it would be Davidson and ended up being Davidson. Got to be Davidson tomorrow. And I didn't, for the first time in, I can't remember how long, I didn't watch the selection show Sunday night. <laughs> I, I wish I wouldn't have, to be honest with you. I watched, I didn't watch the show. I didn't watch it. Because I, 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 you saw me looking up into the rafters and I'm thinking about, Oh, what stupid NIT venue do I have to go to next week? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and 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 then I find out that you know, two points, three points, <laughs> or even you know, or, or the week before, just being LaSalle, you know, yeah, just being LaSalle, yeah, it, it, it you know. And it, and they're in. Um, so I, I guess my biggest takeaway is that um, winning's great, losing sucks, and the best way to approach any situation is is just win. I mean, it's just win. And I and I would I would say that to Flyer fans is that. Um, get, you know, as you approach a new season, um, and we all do this, I know, I know, I, I know there's people who have done it already and there's people listening right now that are probably doing it while they're listening and they got their schedule out and they're going to win, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, whatever. Um, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it because, um, I mean, if if no the reason last year would have had you committing uh, hot kitty um, within a week, um, <laughs> but enjoy the ride, enjoy the ride. We we live in a great basketball town where the 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 games, the regular season games, are a spectacle. They are an event. Uh, a home game at the UD Arena in February is the best thing that happens in this town that week. And that's yep. not a knock on our region. That is just an indication of, of how cool Dayton basketball is. So in, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy every every game, every win, every up, every, every down, you know, you survive the downs, enjoy the ups. And then some special things are going to happen. I really think that's going to be the case. 
Well, Larry, I, uh, I usually ask my guests for final thoughts, but I don't think that we could wrap this podcast up any better than that. And uh, the last time on this show when someone said, enjoy the ride, it was uh, Scott Van Pelt uh, in 2020. And uh, unfortunately, that season didn't end the way that this one's going to end. But um, the sentiment is shared and it's known and, and uh, it should frankly just become my tagline of talking out loud of enjoy the ride. So um, I'll forego final thoughts because we can't do any better than that. And uh, I will wrap up the show tonight thanking you for your time. I know we ran long, but the conversation is always a good one to have, and especially in the preseason. So, Larry, thank you again for your time. It is always a joy to have you on the program. My pleasure, Sully. Glad to, glad to visit with you. That's talking out loud for this evening. Uh, just to base off of our conversation here tonight, I'm going to take you out with uh, an old classic. It's called The Middle, and it's by Jimmy Eat World. Uh, coming at you next week with a, one more show until the Flyers take on the Lindenwood Somethings on Monday, November 7th at UD Arena. Uh, everybody's going to be locked and loaded, ready for that one. Uh, you know, despite the opponent, because we get a good one in game two against SMU, but you got to have those tune-ups and uh, the first tune-up coming on this Saturday uh, exhibition for UD um, and the playing Capital University. Is that right, Larry? Yeah, Capital? Yeah, that's Damon right. Goodwin. Yeah, Damon Goodwin squad. That's right. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're careening right uh, into Dayton Flyers season. Monday, November 7th, game one is uh, the first one on the slate. Until next week, wear red. Be loud, and we will catch you then. Hey, don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head you feel left out or looked down on. Just try your best. Try everything you can. And don't you worry what they tell themselves. Don't write yourself up.